This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. You can follow along with us as we read today from the letter of James, chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 8, but we'll start in verse 1 and read down through verse 8 just for context. James is a skillful pastor, a wonderful pastor. He's putting on a clinic here. He's a servant of the Lord, and he's heard about the trials of those who've been scattered from Jerusalem. He's a pastor there, and he has much wisdom that he wants to impart to them because he cares for them. So here, beginning in James 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is God's holy, inerrant word. I believe today the Lord wants to encourage us that he will give us wisdom when we need it most. He will give us wisdom when we need it most. And that's in the midst of trials. How can men and women like us who deserve only God's wrath be reconciled to Him? The answer is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of His coming, of His death, of His resurrection. God sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. So God would be just and the one who justifies those who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Because of what He bore on the cross, those who trust in Him are counted righteous. They are justified by the Holy God Himself. Not because they are righteous, or because their sins don't matter, but because Christ has stood in their place. They're justified through faith. Now they have peace with God through Jesus Christ their Lord. That's why James 
we said last week, is so concerned about faith. It's central to the Christian life. All of this is the work of God's grace. His unmerited favor. Which despite His wrath, He gives mercifully to needy sinners like you and me. It's through Jesus Christ that we have access to the Father. And it's why we have joy unspeakable. And why we have a joy that is untouchable in this life. We're not only reconciled to God now, but we're promised that we're going to see Him as He is, unshielded. We'll be able to look on His glory one day. We boast in this hope. It's not, it's not a hope that is uncertain. It's a certainty. It's not just a possibility. A certainty. A hope of seeing the glory of God. So the gospel changes our perspective. It changes our priorities. Maximizing comfort and ease in this fallen world is not a high priority anymore. The real question is, how is our faith in Christ? How is our peace with God? How is our hope to see Him one day face to face? How are these things transforming our experiences? good and bad in this fallen world. We rejoice in our sufferings. We count it all joy. We regard it all, all joy. Because we know trials strengthen faith. They, they produce something. They produce steadfastness, endurance, maturity. So, so we have a different philosophy about adversity and trials and suffering. Last week, one of our interns came up to me with a big grin on his face. And, you know, I'm thinking it's an intern. He wants something. But actually, he was coming to give. It was Grant Sexton. And he brought with him a prized possession. His dad's journaling Bible. His dad, Doug, was diagnosed with leukemia in January of 2014. And as many of you know, he battled the disease with his family, with his church for over two years. Bone marrow transplants, chemotherapy, experimental drugs, lengthy hospital stays in Knoxville and Nashville and St. Louis. Numerous times we, we had hope that he was cured or that there would be a cure. But in June of 2016, cancer had spread and there were no more medical treatments that seemed hopeful. So Doug went home to stay with his family and he went home to be with the Lord a few weeks later. It was a, it was a long trial, but if ever someone met God in the midst of a trial, it was Doug and his family. If ever God's people benefited from God's wisdom. It was this family. So his son Grant came up to me last week after we opened with the verses we just read. He had his dad's journaling Bible and he opened it to James chapter 1 showed me what it was written and I asked him to send it to me by email and we have it for you. 
This is what Doug had written in February of 2016. These are straight notes from, from his Bible. First of all, he has a quote from Mark Dever, who apparently had been listening to some messages from James 1. My reaction to a trial must be based on what I know, not what I feel, not how I feel because of leukemia. Trials come from God. Trials are designed by God to accomplish a specific purpose in my life. Joy. Verse 2, when you meet trials, not if you meet them. Every trial has this purpose, the divine purpose, producing steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. Count, equal, think, don't feel. It is from God. It's divinely measured. Been listening to C.J. Mahaney, a message from James 1. All joy equal God has desirable outcomes. Doug's last hospital stay was in St. Louis, and, and Allison, his wife, shared with me that this was an especially difficult time because they were far away from their friends and their children and the familiar doctors. They felt very alone, but she, she said, she wrote me this and said, we prayed a lot. And one day... When we cried and prayed, the Lord met us in a new way. I think the lesson we learned there was when there's nothing else, he's enough. This is God's work of giving wisdom. Sexton's Allison, Doug, their children received the most important gift, wisdom. Doug persevered to the end. I was there. Allison endures. Grant is steadfast because God has been faithful. So today we're going to look at this work that God does of giving wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, the context is a trial. The context is suffering. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The Jewish people valued wisdom. The they talked about the treasures of wisdom. James is a very early Christian book, we said last week, and it's very Jewish. This is wisdom literature in the New Testament. The Lord gives wisdom. It's the fruit of the gospel. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's what we need and sometimes lack in the midst of trials. Three points. Number one, the most important gift is wisdom. Number two, God's work in our lives includes giving wisdom. And number three, we must pray with faith for this wisdom from above. Number one, the most important gift is wisdom. And this is not naturally what we think. In the midst of a trial, in the midst of suffering, we think what's important is the fact that we lack money, that we lack friends, that we lack a job, that we lack health, etc., etc. This is what we think is important, but not James. James understands the critical importance 
of wisdom. He understands what a treasure wisdom is. He understands that we often lack this in the midst of trials and sufferings. He's heard from these people that he cares about. He's a loving, caring pastor. He's heard their suffering. They're going through trials. And he knows some of them, at least, lack wisdom. He's a great pastor. He's caring for this original audience of this letter. And he knows the most important thing they need. And he knows that God is eager to answer their prayers for wisdom. He's he's eager to give them exactly what is most important. He's not absent in the midst of the trial. He is not silent in the midst of the trial. James values wisdom, God's wisdom. And he wants these individuals who are suffering to pursue wisdom so that they can benefit from the trials they're experiencing. He wants them to see God's got a good purpose here. He is going to strengthen your faith. He's going to bring you into maturity. He's going to teach you to endure. You're going to become steadfast. He wants them to see that. So pause for a minute. Pause for a minute. If you're in the midst of a trial. You know, I had someone email me. I'm just so thankful for James. You know why? Because they're in the midst, they're in the midst of a trial. They're suffering. All of us should heed this. All of us should think today, what's God's good purpose in this trial? Or we should say, Lord, teach me to love and treasure wisdom. Patient endurance has not completed its work in James readers. Some lack wisdom. Wisdom is skill at life. It's the, it's the ability to make sound judgments, speak the right words, or write the right words in a journaling Bible. It's a gift from God so that a person can live for the glory of God, that they can be godly in the midst of adversity, the midst of trials in this fallen world. It has everything to do with living the Christian life. James isn't limiting wisdom to succeeding in this life. Earthly success is not what he values. He values, like we should value, Christ-likeness. In James chapter 3, he says the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy. This is what James means when he talks about wisdom. He's talking about a wisdom from above. That's what is needed. That's what we lack in the midst of trials. That's what we are called to ask for. That's what God gives. When I was in college, my wife Sherry and I were headed home one time, and I was thirsty. I think I'd been playing basketball, and I was very Thirsty, we were headed home, so I stopped at a convenience store to get something to drink. And I went into the refrigerators in there and looked around. And when I came out, I memorably said, we have never forgotten this, 
It's been a long, long time ago. I said, they need to sell water. Yeah. Back in the day, nobody sold water. It was my idea. That's what I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Nobody sold water. I would have paid money for water. Because it's what you want when you're thirsty. I recently read an article in Money Watch. Are you blinded by conventional wisdom? They ask the question inquiring minds want to know about. Why did it take so long for beverage companies to appreciate that consumers would pay real money for bottled water? You came here today wondering that question. According to this article, it wasn't stupid employees. There wasn't one person you could blame. It was the same reason that Google initially ignored the significance of social media. It was the same reason Microsoft missed the Internet. They were blinded by conventional wisdom. They relied too heavily on what the article called key orthodoxies, core beliefs, assumptions, that are foundational to a culture, in a company, or in a society. They're so much a part of life that you just can't see past them. They're so accepted, they go unquestioned. It's the generally accepted view. Like, at one point in history... Conventional wisdom was the earth is flat. The sun rotates around the earth. Bottled water won't sell. Only the brilliant think otherwise. See, conventional wisdom for a beverage company was that you had to make a product. You had to make it. Usually you had to put sugar in it. Who would pay for something that was freely available and ubiquitous. And the point of the article is review this wisdom. Make sure it's still wise. My point is that conventional wisdom changes. Conventional wisdom can be redefined. It can be wrong. The wisdom that James is talking about does not. The wisdom that God gives is not conventional wisdom. This article said, just because millions of people believe a foolish thing doesn't make it any less foolish. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. They, They aren't, Paul and James are not entrusting themselves to conventional Wisdom, what James prizes and what you lack and what I lack and what we need, especially in the midst of trials, is divine wisdom. God's wisdom, the wisdom from above. It is a gift. It is a treasure. And because James is a caring 
skillful pastor. He looks at people he loves that are suffering, and he says, what you lack and what you need is God's wisdom. It's the most important gift, the wisdom of God. And every sentence in this letter is bursting forth with wisdom. With wisdom. He understands how important it is. And it's often what we lack. And the good news is, number two, God's work in our lives includes giving this wisdom, this treasure. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That is God's work in our lives. He gives Wisdom. God made man by nature good. God made man truthful, holy, godly. But all of this that belonged to the image of God that was in man was lost when man fell into to sin and God's image has been vandalized. All of mankind has become ungodly. The good news is that God is at work in those He redeems to repair this image. He does this. He's at work restoring His image in them. He is communicating His character to them. He's transforming you today. That's why you're in a trial. We are being transformed by the grace of God into the image of Christ. This is what God is doing today. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In the gospel, we see the glory of God with the eyes of our heart. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. God is shown in our hearts. We see this glory. And James says, regard it all joy when you experience tests and trials because tests and trials transform us. They change us. We grow. The result of a trial is steadfastness and endurance and maturity. And we can count it all joy because we look to these results. This is why Doug had joy, exclamation point, in the midst of leukemia. How does this happen? In the midst of the trial, what we lack is the wisdom of God. So we pray for wisdom and God does His work of giving us His wisdom. We see His generosity. 
we experience him at work in our lives, giving us wisdom. He says things like, I am enough. We see his glory and we're transformed. He communicates this wisdom to us. He imparts it to us. This is, this is what he does in the midst of a trial and why we can and should regard every circumstance as joy. J.I. Packer. God's work of giving wisdom is a means to his chosen end of restoring and perfecting the relationship between himself and human beings. That's what God is doing in our lives. The relationship for which he made them. For what is this wisdom that he gives? It is not a sharing in all his knowledge. In the midst of a trial, he doesn't explain it all to us. That's why we studied Ecclesiastes. It's not a sharing in all his knowledge, but it's a disposition to confess. He is wise. And to cleave to him and live for him in the light of his word through thick and thin. The effect of this wisdom, it, it makes us more humble, it makes us more joyful, makes us more godly. We're better able to discern His will. We're, we're more committed to His will. We're less anxious about the trial. We're, le we're less anxious when we suffer. It's all rooted in faith in Christ. Christ is the manifestation of God's wisdom. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God, Paul says. Christ Jesus has become to us wisdom from God. God wants to give us a wisdom that binds us to Him. The fruit of the wisdom is faith and it's faithfulness. A quest for wisdom is a quest for Jesus Christ. It's a quest to be like Him. It's, it's a quest to live worthy of His gospel. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. He gives generously to all. He gives without reproach. Let him ask God for this wisdom and it'll be given to him. God isn't devious. He's not sneaky. He's not tricky. He isn't hard to relate to. He doesn't scoff at his people when they ask for what they need. This is not what God is like. God isn't stingy. He's not withholding. James is saying God is generous. That's the message of the gospel. He's generous. He provides what we need. He provides even what he demands from us. That's the gospel. And faith is recognizing it. It's the character of God to give. It's a fundamental characteristic. He loves to do it. James learned this from his half-brother Jesus. From his message, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. This is what Jesus said. This is who God is. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and it'll be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it'll be open. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he, you, you, who are evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more? Now, if you're in a trial right now, this should be encouraging. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? He gives to all, verse 5 says. He makes His Son rise on the evil. He sends rain on the unjust, Jesus said. God isn't double-minded like the doubter. We'll read about in verse 8. He's not like us. When we give, it's complicated, isn't it? It's complicated by our sin, by our selfishness. But not with God. He loves to give. He's not like the pagan gods. There was always strings attached. Yeah, you could come and ask. But there was going to be a twist. There was going to be a consequent side effect from a false god. But not our God. He, he gives open-handed. There's no, no tricks, no hidden motives. He gives in a way that is different. Because it's who He is, and He is different. And we're mistaken to think of God like, like He's like us. That is a grave mistake. Here's a, another great pastor, a Puritan pastor, Thomas Manton. I'm persuaded that nothing disadvantages us so much in believing as this conceit or arrogance that God is altogether like ourselves. Well, then consider when God gives, He will give like Himself. Don't measure Him by the wretched straightness of your own heart. <laughs> Whatever God does, He'll do as God. Above the rate, above the measure of the creatures. Something befitting His infiniteness, infiniteness His eternity, His own being. He doesn't reproach, He doesn't scold, He doesn't rebuke us. Manton says, he doesn't rebuke us when we come begging at his door. He likes us to beg. We, we acknowledge our lack of wisdom. He, he, he doesn't scold us. His work includes giving wisdom. Final point. This means wisdom is a gift and we must pray with faith for the wisdom that is above. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, it'll be given to him. But, verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The context is a trial. It's when wisdom is most valuable. It's often what we lack. And the fact is, it's received as a gift from God. And so, we need to ask God for wisdom in prayer. We must ask. We must pray. And here's a text for us calling us to pray, and God will give it to us. He's never weary of doing us good. 
We get tired of giving. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That is wisdom when you're relating to man. But God is not like that. This is the way it is with us, but it's not like that with God. There is a difference between our earthly friends and our heavenly friend. He is, he is different. The more we come to God, the more we realize how much He loves to give. It actually encourages us to come back. He's so much unlike us. His door is always open. We don't need to have any fear of coming to Him too much. Every time He gives us mercy, it's just like a step to the next mercy. We, we don't fear that asking again and again is a mistake. In fact, He tells us to be persistent like the widow and the unrighteous judge. Like an impudent friend that comes at night knocking on the door. He tells us these parables so we'll just wear him out. His love is an unwearied love because God is infinite. He doesn't grow weary. Ask in faith with no doubting. The, the request has to be made in faith. It must be made with trust in God's character and trust in His promises. He doesn't mean that we never have any uncertainty. He doesn't mean that this doesn't come to mind. I don't know what the will of the Lord is, or I don't know if I'm worthy to ask. That's not what James is talking about. It's, it's a wavering of commitment to God. It's doubting His character. It's an insult. Paul said, no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. That is what James is after. That's the doubt he's talking about. A wavering concerning these promises. It's criticizing God. It's slandering God. It's questioning His goodness, His generosity, His compassion. It's an unwillingness to walk in a manner that requires confidence in God alone. That's the doubt he is after. It's, it's living like God is not what he says he is. It's not recognizing that he's generous. It's like saying, no, he's not generous. That's the essence of doubt. We cast aspersions on his character. And when we do this, we can't get wisdom. The doubter is like a wave of the sea. Blown back and forth by the wind. It doesn't have any shape of its own. It's just a product of the wind. Something else. It's always shifting. Likewise the doubter. Every path is unstable. No matter what choice he or she makes. The doubter is never sure. James isn't saying that a believer can never have any uncertainty. We, we, we can have faith and still experience uncertainty. James is talking about a divided loyalty. It's talking about your commitment to God. You can't have two masters. So we have to ask with no doubting. We never fail to be fully committed to God. Wholeheartedly trusting His character. Believing His promises. We've got to be single-minded 
about who he says he is. No unbelief makes us waver from this. Verse 7, that person should not suppose he's going to receive anything from the Lord. It's a huge warning. If we doubt God, we will not receive this wisdom that we so desperately need if we lack it. This is the, someone who's toying with Christianity. This is someone who's on the fence. This is someone clinging to their old ways of living. They're intrigued by the message of the gospel, but they're vacillating. He is, verse 8, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. They have a divided mind. This is the essence of sin and unfaithfulness. You can't live a life of faith if you're waffling like this. These kinds of doubters, they're unstable. And James says there's no middle ground between faith and no faith. Unstable in all his ways. In wisdom, literature, the path, the way, it's a metaphor for our choices and the resulting lifestyle, the path, the way. The person who doubts is like the drunkard, the most unstable person walking down the path. They can't walk a chalk line. They can't stay on the path. They're doubters. They can't maintain the course in life. And when, not if, the trial comes, they lack wisdom. But they don't receive wisdom. And their choices, their lifestyle is foolish and they don't remain steadfast. They don't endure. They don't grow into maturity. And their sons and their daughters and their wives and their husbands don't shine for the glory of of God. There isn't a true joy in their hearts. And this is the reason. This is the issue. Without faith, life is chaotic. There's no compass. There's no direction. The good news is this morning that God has given us His Word he is present this morning and He is saying to you, you that are His child, you that are in the midst of a trial, I will give you wisdom. You need it most right now. You lack wisdom. I will give it to you. He's, James is speaking harshly because he is a caring pastor. That's what caring pastors do when you're in the midst of a, a trial. They yell at you. They yell at you because they care about you. And they want you to believe. They want you to trust God. They want you to experience His nearness. They want you to hear His voice. They want you to know He's generous and good. He's not absent and He's not silent. And that's why I yell at you. So. Father, I pray this morning that your word would not return void. My passion is for those who are suffering. But I have a heart for those who are prospering this morning, Lord. Let them hear this message because one day in this life, they will need it. 
Lead us to the rock that is higher than we are, Lord. We need you. Grant this congregation wisdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.